I'm just going to read the first part of the reading. Um, and I'm just going to ask if you can just leave it up on the screen, just um, whilst I'm talking. So I've broken it down into two parts today in order to aid our worship. <clears throat> so the first part is from Colossians 3. And I'm just going to read verse 15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. The second part of our reading is from Colossians 3, verses 18 to 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents. <laughs> For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you've done. For God has no favourites. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray for Lou as she comes to open up this word of yours to us this morning. Just anoint her tongue with the words that you want her to say to us today. And may it go deeply into our hearts and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Bit of a cold one, isn't it? For spring. Eh? Welcome to spring. I'm hoping summer might be better. Well, here we are once more in our front on our front line Sundays, thinking about our front lines, thinking about how, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be more than seat warmers on a Sunday morning. How good is that? Some of you might not think that's a great thing. Uh, well, oh dear, you've got a little bit to learn, haven't you? Following Jesus is more than warming a seat on a Sunday morning. We're working that out. We're realizing this. And uh, maybe we should be allowing ourselves to be awakened to the reality of what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
we've been thinking about the fact that we, we realize that as followers of Jesus, we are those who are called to make, oh, we are called to make all the difference in the world as we follow this pattern of gathering, see I got there, and scattering. No one noticed. They didn't notice that I pressed the button a bit before the little asterisk on my uh, thing said, did that? I? I just got ahead of myself. We, I'll keep going. Thanks, love. I'm trying to. Could be a long day. Never mind. I'm away this week. So, you know, I'll be free. Of, it'll be nice and quiet. Yeah. For me as well as you, my love. As followers of Jesus, <clears throat> let's get back to what we're here for. As followers of Jesus, not seat warmers, those who make all the difference in the world, who follow this rhythm of gathering and scattering, because this is what Jesus modeled. This is what he models with his disciples. They gather and he teaches them. They watch him. And then they are sent out. They are scattered and then they gather back again together with him for encouragement and for prayer and for teaching. And so it goes. And then they scatter and then they gather and then they scatter. We are called and gathered together as those who follow Jesus to be people who when we scatter, when we go out into our weeks, when we go out into the world from here, we are to be those who make all the difference in the world. Not because we're brilliant, not because we're great, because some of us are really brilliant and great. Some of us feel that all the time. God bless you. Some of us know that we're not. We make all the difference in the world, not because we are able to do this. We make, are called to make all the difference in the world because the God we follow is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The God we follow is the one who has shown us that death is not the end. The God we follow has got it all in hand. And we follow this God and his power is at work within us. Therefore, we can do immeasurably more. This is why we can make all the difference in the world. As followers of Jesus, we are called to continue to do all the things that Jesus did when he was on this earth. And he most definitely made all the difference in the world to those he met, to those he talked to, to those he listened to, to those he engaged with. We thought last week about the fact that we are called to be those who make all the difference wherever we are. That even in the very ordinary, mundane places that we might find ourselves, God is already at work. He is already at work in the power of his Holy Spirit. That there is never a place where it would be impossible to encounter God. We thought about that as we were reminded of the story of Jacob. who fell asleep with his head on a stone because he must have been really tired. And was awakened to the reality of the presence of the Holy God because he dreamt. He had a dream and heaven was open. That ladder with the angels walking up and down it. When he woke up, he said, surely God was in this place and I didn't know. We thought about how easy it is to go into the ordinary places of our week, blinded to the fact that God is already at work in those places, in the power of the Spirit, and that even those places can be places of encounter with the living God. I wonder as we prayed that we would leave here last week and prepare to encounter God in different ways in the places where we find ourselves during the week, whether any of you really did have a sense 
of God in those places. God in the places where you work. God in the places where you learn. God when you're doing your shopping in Morrison's or Asda or Tesco's or wherever it is you go to do your shop. God when you're out doing your gardening. God with you in all things and in all places. This morning I'd like us to consider for a moment that the things that we do in our weeks, the work of our hands, however small and insignificant, matters to God. That we are to be those who make all the difference in the world, whatever it is that we do. And let's think about it. Just as we will scatter into different places in our weeks, we will all be those who will be doing different things in those places. We all do different stuff. We have different responsibilities, different skills, different gifts, different jobs. We will all be doing different things. But that we are called to be those who make all the difference in the world, whatever it is that we do. In our reading this morning, we've listened in to a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul. And he's written it to the church in a place called Colossae. This church had come into being through the faithful discipleship of a man called Epaphras. Now, Epaphras had become a Christian in Ephesus at the time when Paul had spent three years there. And then he then carried the good news of Jesus from Ephesus to Colossae. And this new church came into being. But at some point... At some point in the life of this church, there seems to have been a bit of confusion and concern over the fact that within their thinking and living in Colossae, Jesus was seen and understood as being important, but maybe no more important than some of the others of the day. Uh, uh, important, but maybe not really central. Important, but not really above all others. Now, I, I hope that you can probably stop and think, hang on a minute, that ain't right, because it's not. So Paul is writing this letter, really, to address this, to address what is called heresy, because they've got really the wrong idea of who Jesus is, and the place of Jesus, and the importance of Jesus, and the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. They had funny ideas about it. Paul is writing to kind of say, hang on a minute, this Jesus has got to be central in everything. And Paul does this by describing the kind of community that God has called them to be. The kind of people they were to be. They were to be an outward-focused community whose daily life and living was to be marked by love and kindness and compassion. Not because they were nice people, but because that reflects the truth of who Jesus is. But these things were not just to be seen within their community when they gathered together. These things were to be seen in their places of work. These things were to be evidenced in all of their relationships, whatever those relationships were. You see, to be able to say Jesus is Lord in the first century meant that your life and living was different. I think we, we lose sight of that a bit today. Because in that time, Caesar was Lord. So you didn't say Jesus is Lord to win friends. You didn't say Jesus is Lord to get kudos. <laughs> you didn't say Jesus is Lord to have an easy life. You said it because you knew it was the truth. And that whatever happened, you knew it was the truth. And that whatever cost you had to pay, you paid it because you knew it was the truth. Nowadays, it's easy to come together and say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, we believe in here, don't we? 
Jesus is Lord. It's easy to say in here, but it's also very easy to say it in here, and there seems to be, it's easy to go out there maybe and not live any differently to anybody else. In the first century, to say Jesus was Lord, you were marked by that. Everything about you was different. You lived differently because you lived under Jesus as Lord, not Caesar as Lord. You see, that should make a difference today, but I think it's very easy today to say Jesus is Lord and to go out there and not live any differently. This is what was marking them in the first century. The social conditions that this passage assumes are not the same as those that we face today within our everyday. But some of the principles that flow from it are just as applicable now as to them. A commitment to Jesus as Lord had to be worked out, and as it does now, in all of our daily lives and living. What does it mean, I wonder, for us to say Jesus is Lord and live out the reality of that Monday to Saturday? Because it's easy on a Sunday. Jesus is Lord, yeah, I know, I go to church. How does Jesus is Lord make a difference Monday to Saturday? That's when it's most important. It's not really what happens in here. It's what happens for the rest of the week. How does it make a difference Monday to Saturday? How does saying Jesus is Lord make a difference in your living and in your relationships and in your working and in your serving and in your giving and in what you'll watch on the telly and how you'll spend your time and all of that kind of stuff? How does it make a difference? Because it should. There was that little saying thing, wasn't it, that said something about if, if you were put before a court and they needed to find evidence that you were a Christian, would they find enough would they find enough to find you guilty of being a Christian? Or would they think, actually, hang on a minute, they don't seem that different to anybody else. I, I find it a bit hard to say whether they are or not. What difference does it make? Let's be reminded of the fact that the majority of those who would also have heard this letter read out to them would have been slaves. They would have been household servants. They were the people that kept the great economy of the Roman Empire going. And invaluable as they were, they had very little control over any aspects of their lives or, or living at all. And it would have been so tempting, I think, for them to think that their daily tasks were utterly insignificant. Why? Because they were made to feel as though they were utterly insignificant. Paul's encouragement to them here, and he spends a lot of time talking about slaves here. Did you notice that in that passage? The majority of what he's talking about is to slaves. His encouragement to them here offers a completely new way for them to see all, the, all of their daily chores, all of the things that they did really, really mattered and I often think as Christians today, there's a remnant of, of this kind of thinking that still goes on. We might realize that what we do has some kind of importance, but maybe we think, oh, well, it's not really that significant, not really that important to God. Or maybe there is too much emphasis placed on the importance of Christian work. You know how we talk about Christian work, whatever that might actually be, the things we do for church. Or if we're in ministry, that's obviously sometimes seen as being far more important. And I just want to say that's a load of old bunkum. Absolute bunkum. Because it is not scriptural, and it's certainly not Baptist, is it? Notice I said them the, the right way round. I didn't say it was not Baptist and not scriptural. I said it's not scriptural, and it's not Baptist. It's not Baptist. Why is it not Baptist and scriptural? Because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. 
That once we say Jesus is Lord and we're baptized, we're brought into this newness of life and we are given a ministry and a calling and a mission, each one of us. It doesn't matter who you are, how capable you think you are. All of us are called to be part of the mission and the ministry of the kingdom of God. And sometimes I think we can, without realizing it, have this sacred-secular divide thing. Some things are God things. Some things are church things. Some things are really spiritual things. And then some things aren't. Some things are not that at all. And that's okay, because we can just divide them up. We can be spiritual on a Sunday, and then we can do what we want when it's not a Sunday, because this isn't a spiritual thing. We have this divide that goes on. And I want to challenge that again this morning. Everything is spiritual. If we're living as followers of Jesus and we've got the Holy Spirit within us, you tell me whenever you're doing something or wherever you are that isn't spiritual. There isn't anywhere. Is there anything? Everything is spiritual. God is in all things. And I think this passage destroys that sacred-secular divide completely. How? Well, I think it's no accident that within this passage there is a little phrase that is repeated, whatever you do. It's repeated, we read of it firstly in verse 17, where it says, whatever you do or say, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We read it again then in verse 23. Um, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than just for people. Whatever you do is repeated. Verse 17, that first one, I think is clearly set within the context of the gathered worship because verse 15 refers to being part of one body, the church. Verse 16 speaks about the word of Christ, about teaching and challenging one another and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all the sorts of stuff that we do when we gather together on Sunday as a gathering people. It's the stuff we do when we're here. But verse 23 um, we find that little, what, that little uh, whatever you do phrase repeated, but in a different context. Here it's not within a worship kind of gathering, but more in an everyday kind of household setting, an everyday working context for the household slaves. Whatever you do, as a gathered group for worship, where you're teaching, singing, reading, praying, or as a scattered group living in the everyday places we find ourselves, all of it matters. Whatever we do matters. However boring it seems and mundane it seems and difficult and life-giving or absolute sheer hell it might seem at times, whatever we do matters. It all matters to our Heavenly Father. What you do, every task of your day matters to God. And I wonder whether that makes any difference to us as we think about the tasks that can fill our days and the tasks that can fill our weeks. Because some of them are really dull, aren't they? They are, aren't they? You obviously have much more exciting lives than I do. They're dull. When Ian came home from the football, off enjoying himself with the football yesterday, he was, when I was sat at home working hard. And he came in and he went, oh, you know, you, you had a good day. Went, no, not really. 
Why not? Because I need to clean the bathroom and I've been putting it off all day because I hate having to clean the bathroom. Now, to be quite honest with you, that is the most mundane, dull and ordinary task you can ever do. But here I'm supposed to think that that has great significance and matters to God, as though he's using our bathroom. <laughs> but maybe I should be cleaning it as though he probably is, I don't know. <laughs> but what I mean is everything that we do, however mundane, these are the sorts of tasks that we are to consider matter to God. Everything. How different might it make us feel about the tasks that fill our days? How might we be able to take hold of our everyday living that matters to God and encounter him in the middle of it all and offer it to him as part of our worship? Well, this is nothing new really that Paul is speaking about here when he's asking whatever you do and he's pointing out that it matters because he's really reiterating words from Romans 12 that speak about what living life as a disciple of Jesus is about, of how it involves everything we are and everything we do. He talks about placing your life before God in Romans 12. This is from the message. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Whatever you do, Whatever you do matters. How do we do this, though? How do we offer our lives to God? How do we take our everyday stuff? How is it that we do that? This is where this little Colossians passage, I think, offers practical suggestions. Because what we really hear about in those verses 17 and verses 23, where that little whatever you do bit is repeated, are some helpful hints, I think, guidelines offerings, thoughts, because they say whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Or in the, that's what it says in the uh, NIV, in the version that we looked at, it says whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus. That's doing it in his name. That's what it means. Whatever we do, we are acting as representatives of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Whatever you do, you're doing it as a representative of Jesus. We are his ambassadors. That's quite a weighty responsibility, isn't it? The next time you just dash into the shops for something and someone gets in front of you in the queue at the last minute or cuts you up in the car or whatever. Everything we do, we do as a representative of Jesus, as an ambassador of Jesus. So I can parent my child or I can be a friend in his name. I can price a job or run a business meeting in his name. I could plumb a sink. I can't actually, but if I could, I could plumb a sink in Jesus' name. I could coach a team in Jesus' name. I could bathe this patient in Jesus' name. I could do me as to shop in line, online or in person in Jesus' name. Uh, we are each called to be Christ's ambassadors, to represent him in what we do and say. What might that mean? 
for you with your daily tasks. That you go about all of them knowing that you're doing them in the name of Jesus as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. So whatever we do, we're to do it in the name of Jesus. Whatever we are to do, if you thought that one was hard, this one's even worse, to do it with an attitude of thankfulness. Oh my goodness, like cleaning the bathroom. (sighs) But were you thankful enough for both of us, my love? And I think you were only thankful because you didn't have to do it because I had. That's not what I'm asking for. It does do me ironing, and I'm thankful for that. Um, I wonder how easy it might be for us to face our days, even with those tasks that sometimes loom very large and like big dark clouds on the horizon, to think about them, to do them with an attitude of thankfulness. You know, my spiritual director, please play, pray for the people who are my spiritual directors, because I, I, I sometimes feel bad for them. Um, my spiritual director is very brave lady, this spiritual director. She once challenged me to pray for a week, only prayers of thanks to God. I think it will be good for you, she said. Can't see what she saw in me that might make her have thought that. But anyway, I think it would be really good as a discipline to pray some prayers of thanks. Just pray prayers of thanks. And I thought, well, fair enough, how difficult might that be? Just thanking God for stuff all week. I mean, there's lots of stuff to thank God for. I'm not going to run out of material to talk to God about, am I? Uh, But she said, you know, just quit asking. Quit demanding things. Just thank him. Just thank him for all he is. Just thank him for all he's given you. Just thank him for his blessings upon you. Do you know what? It was the hardest week of prayer I have ever been on. I have been on a week silent retreat, utterly silent retreat. Let me tell you, this giving thanks stuff was far more difficult than even me keeping my mouth shut for a whole week, only able to speak to a spiritual director for 40 minutes a day. This was hard. It was really hard. And I don't think it was hard because I'm not thankful. It was, it was hard just because it's hard to be thankful all the time, I found. And what I also found was that I'd be going, thank you, Lord, that you're going to give me... Oh, no, I've just asked. You can turn thankfulness, you see, even into asking God to do stuff. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to bless me as I... Oh, no, that's me demanding and asking. Hmm? That's me trying to get God just to do what I'd quite like him to do. Then I can be really thankful. What does it mean for us to be truly thankful? What does it mean for us to do all that we are called to do with that spirit of thankfulness? Even if it's cleaning the toilet. Well, I'm thankful I've got one because it could be a whole lot of a messier affair to clean up if we didn't have one, wouldn't it be? Hmm? When I'm cleaning the house, thank God I've got a place of security and, and comfort and warmth. Because there are so many people that don't have those things. What might it do for us if we took this seriously and we stopped being those who just demand and ask all the time and come upon all of the things that we do, all of the tasks that we face in our day with this deliberate attitude of thankfulness to God? Because you know what? It sets things in perspective. Sometimes we need perspective, I think. And it reminds us of all that we have. And sometimes we need to be reminded of all that we have because we will naturally focus on all the stuff we haven't got and that isn't going right. 
And it also sets into perspective something else. We are utterly reliant upon him. And far too often, we think that we're not really, because we've got our stuff. Everything we have comes from the Lord. We are reliant totally upon him. All things come from him. We are forever resourced through him. You are not going to be eternally resourced by working really hard and getting lots of savings and having a big house and having great holidays. I mean, they're brilliant things, but you're not eternally resourced for those things. You're only eternally resourced because of the grace and the love of your heavenly Father. Having an attitude of thankfulness, how might that change your thinking and your doing as you face the ordinary tasks of your week. So we are called in whatever we are to do, to do it in the name of Jesus. Whatever we do, to do it with an attitude of thankfulness. And finally, finally, last point, wake up. We are called to do all of these things with our whole heart, with all our hearts. Work willingly at whatever you do, it says in verse 23, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. In the NIV, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord and not just men. I think that means men and women. Humankind. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus with an attitude of thankfulness but also do it with all your heart. Now, time and time again within the pages of the Bible, this phrase, with all your heart, appears. And usually it is to do with how we are to love and serve the Lord. We are to love and serve the Lord with all of our hearts. It speaks about a total commitment of all we are to God. It takes it all the way back to what I said at the beginning was uh, when we talk about being, saying Jesus is Lord. Because when you said that in the first century, it was a completely total commitment. It wasn't something you played a game with because it was a commitment of everything. It speaks about this total commitment. The heart is seen as being of vital importance to our life and our well-being. It's the thing that keeps us alive, working constantly to enable our bodies to live, to breathe, to be sustained and to function. I'm sure that if, if you have had any issues with your heart, if you know people who have had any cardiac issues at all, when a heart cannot function, even if it is only a very small part of that heart, let me tell you, people know about it because they lack energy and strength and the vitality to do anything. They are tired all the time. Breathing is hard. Doing anything is hard when your heart isn't working. You see, the call to work with all your heart is one that reflects that idea. It means no half-hearted effort is expected. Why? Because everything we do, we don't just do for our bosses or our line managers. We do everything, even when no other person can see it or knows about it, everything we do is to be done as though it was for God and God alone. Even cleaning the bathroom. Everything. It's part of our worship. It's part of how we see our lives and our living as disciples of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. We serve a higher cause. We serve a higher authority, a greater authority, an everlasting kingdom. Imagine for a moment what this meant for those slaves who heard this. Can you imagine how difficult it might have been for them to have heard this? It completely sort of turned on their head, really, that slave-owner relationship. 
What it said to them was, you're working for the Lord and he sees everything because you're important to him. You're important to him. It doesn't matter how looked down upon you are. It doesn't matter how insignificant you feel that your tasks are. If you're a disciple of Jesus, everything you are and everything you do is all about Jesus and it matters to him. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Whatever you do this week, in your scattered places, when you've quit warming the seats in here this morning, Monday to Saturday, how different is it going to be for you to do these things? In the name of Jesus, with an attitude of thankfulness, and to do it with all your heart, because it's all for him. It's all for him. So as I finish, let's just watch the little, and listen to the little prayer from the LICC that finishes this topic. Father, help me do good today. I want to shape this place to your design. Help me see the value my work has to you. May I model your kindness and patience. So that you are recognised. May they know Jesus through my presence. May they see your light as I share mine. Give me your joy and self-control. So that your warmth touches those I meet. Help me to be generous. Quick to put others first. Sharing clearly your love and grace. Give me words to speak about you. And courage to stand for justice and truth. Whatever the day brings. In my humanity, weakness, breakthrough. Let my life overflow with you.